Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. Ready? All right, here we go. From the 10, throwing end zone. Spectacular catch. They're saying it's a catch. Touchdown. You see, most gamblers, when they go to gamble, they go to win. Oh, my God. That's incredible. Big bank, small bank, I like to make money. All right. That is the ultimate kibosh. You want to bet? <laughs> and we are underway. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the NFL Conference Championship Fantasy Flex on the Action Network podcast. I am Matthew Friedman, the editor-in-chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network. In this episode, we are breaking down the players at the top of our rankings, which are available at actionnetwork.com slash fantasy. We are discussing the guys who are high and low on, and we are, as always, speculating on some player props. With me are Sean Corner and Chris Raybon. Sean is our director of predictive analytics and one of the top in-season fantasy football rankers for the past half decade. And Chris is a senior editor and analyst at the Action Network and a co-host of the Action Network show on Sirius XM Fantasy Radio. I should also add that Chris... It's top five in the 2019 Fantasy Pros in-season ranking contest. Gentlemen, how's it going? It's going good. Uh, it's an exciting time of year. It's been a while. Playoffs so far. I think the Titans are probably the story of it. Can they do it you know, one more week, two more weeks? I mean, they're scary. The play every week just seems to be Derrick Henry, Titans defense. So we'll see, we'll see what happens this week. I love this time of year, and I, I kind of like the fact that my wife might hear me in the other room. She's a huge Pats fan, but I like the fact that the Pats aren't in it. It's just There's this uncertainty that we, we don't usually have this time of year, so I'm rooting for a Chiefs 49ers Super Bowl. I think that'd be the best matchup, but I don't think you go wrong with any of these teams. I, I, I'm loving uh, the way the playoffs are shaping up. All right, let's jump into it. The two quarterbacks at the top of our rankings. And it's now obviously we're dropping from uh, three to two because like we're going to highlight the top three and to be like and the one loser at the bottom of our rankings. So the, the two guys at the top of our rankings, Patrick Mahomes and Jimmy Garoppolo, that right there speaks to the massive discrepancy in this slate. Like one, what happens when you just have, you know, four players or a short slate, but then two, like a tier of Patrick Mahomes. And then you have another tier underneath him that's just empty. And then you have a tier underneath that. And that's where some of these other guys are. Uh, But Jimmy Garoppolo is the number two quarterback behind Patrick Mahomes. Sean, I mean, a four game slate, it's almost ridiculous to ask this question, but who are you relatively high on? Jimmy G again for me this week. I have him as my second ranked QB and he's the cheapest QB on the slate. Um, again, I think he makes sense with game stacks. It didn't quite work out last week because the Vikings weren't able to keep up with the Niners. So they didn't really have to keep uh, their foot on the gas, so to speak. But um, th- this week, Patrick Mahomes it will probably be my highest owned QB, but he's going to be incredibly high owned to begin with. The, the one QB I'll try to have more exposure to than um, ownership percentage would be Jimmy G. Um, and like I said, he's he's one of the most stackable QBs. You can stack him with um, Sanders, Debo, uh, Kittle. So um, he makes a lot of sense. And then I'll probably send him back with uh, Devontae Adams or Aaron Jones from that game. But I, I like the idea of sort of stacking that game around Jimmy G. Is it, it, It'll be more of a smart contrarian play, in my opinion. All right, Ray Bond, where are you on Garoppolo? Yeah, I feel the same way. I mean, first of all, I don't think he should be the cheapest. Uh, I think he should be the second most expensive. So um, I'm, I'm right there with Sean. And I think Tannehill, there's something to be said for just, you know, the game script has been working out well for the Titans in, in these last two games, but he has been very efficient. So if, you know, the Chiefs end up jumping out to a lead or whatnot, and he has to throw more than, you know, 14, 15 times, uh, I could see that working out well. So I, I like him in, in game stacks, kind of like what Sean was saying with Jimmy G as well. Yeah, I'm with you on Tannehill. Uh, you guys have him ranked 
Sean, you have him number four. Chris, you have him number three. I'm the highest on him oh. at number two. The big reason is that the Chiefs, although they've actually been pretty good against wide receivers this year, they haven't been brutal against quarterbacks. Like quarterbacks have been able to do about league average against them. And if we do get in a situation where, uh, Chris, as you mentioned, game script starts to go against the run heavy plans that the Titans have. We could finally see Tannehill get the opportunity to rip it a little bit more. And then even if things go, you know, quote unquote, right with the Titans and they are able to run the ball 50 times per game, I still think that that could result in some uh, like touchdown throwing opportunities for Tannehill. So uh, I'm, you know, in a slate that I think is this ugly or this tilted at the quarterback position, uh, I'm fine with Tannehill at number two. Um and uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess I'll sort of transition this into like the player I'm down on. You guys are high on Garoppolo. I'm relatively down on him. Uh, and in part, it's because of the the fact that they are home favorites. I think they're going to run the ball quite a bit, just as they did last week. I mean, I don't really have a lot of um, respect for the the Packers defense, but at the same time, it's actually been pretty decent against opposing quarterbacks. And some of that is maybe a function of the quarterbacks that they played against, but quarterbacks really have not gone off against the Packers this year. And so you put those two things together and I'm inclined to be pretty low on Garoppolo. Uh, Sean, who are you relatively low on? Um, so you mentioned I had Tannehill four. Uh, I forgot to update uh, my projections this morning in our uh, Excel file, but um, I actually have him three now. And to be fair, it's really just a three-way tie for second yeah. or last, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I have Rogers ranked fourth now, um, and he's the most, or he's the second most expensive. So I'll probably be fading him completely. And you know, with Rogers, um, you know, you could fade him specifically, but you could also play a ton of Devontae Adams. So I'll probably play ton of Devonte Adams. So if Rogers does good, um, you're still going to get production from Adams. Um, I'm not really worried about, you know, guys like Jimmy Graham or Alan Lazard going off or anything and ruining that plan. So I think that the way to do it is just, yeah. Um, you, you want to have some smart contrarian plays with Garoppolo and Tannehill, um, for any, any laps that you don't have Mahomes, And then, um, you can have Rogers sort of by proxy through Devonte Adams. So I think that's the way I'm going to be playing this late. Um, basically, uh, complete fate of Aaron Rodgers at this price, though. All right, Rayvon, you are also relatively low on Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers, he's going to struggle this week. Listen, last week at home against the Seahawks defense that, you know, they'll play some split safety. And, and they're just – they're kind of av- – they don't have a lot of impact players they, uh, outside of Jadeveon Clowney. So Rodgers is able to go off. And if you look at that game, Devontae Adams, 160 yards of his 243, essentially two-thirds of, of Rodgers' passing yardage. And then you look back – at what the at how he did against the Niners and Devontae Adams had uh, just 43 yards on 11 targets and the, the 49ers are capable of taking him away again. Uh, Aaron Rodgers had the worst game of his career in his first outing against San Francisco. He only threw for 104 yards and uh, a lot of that is just that 49er defense. You know they they I like them for the same reason that I liked them last against Cousins. You know when you can get pressure without blitzing. Uh, now you're able to kind of have guys in coverage that can take away the team's top options. And without without Adams, there's really nowhere else to go with the football. I mean, even Aaron Jones only had 38 yards on 13 touches in that in that first meeting. And uh, we saw what the, uh, the Niners were able to do to Dalvin Cook. So uh, it's a tough spot for Rodgers. I actually have him in a tier by himself uh, at the bottom. I just don't – I don't think he'll have a lot of success. And I think the Packers will try to 
you know, work the running backs in more in, in Jones and, and try to do it that way. But it's not going to be good if they have to uh, throw the football. Sean, you are going to give us the player prop for quarterbacks. By the way, everyone should check out the Fantasy Labs prop tool, which since the 2018 season has yielded a 60% win rate for all of the props with a bet quality rating of 10. Pretty, pretty, pretty good. Sean, give us the prop. Uh, so let's go with the guy we didn't really get to talk about too much because uh, it's pretty obvious uh, who's the number one quarterback this week, but Patrick Mahomes. Total passing yards at home against the Titans. I have the line set at 306.5. Under. I think he's going to, uh, you know, I think the Titans have just played such good ball control. You know, I, I don't see a, a huge 300 plus game. They also got down, they got way down in Houston in that first quarter, which is something that we really haven't seen from Houston all year. So, uh, yeah, I think it could be they, the Titans. I know the Titans are going to come out and that's going to be their plan. It's going to try to be the to, to slow them down. Now, it didn't work last time. I think he threw for 446. So, I mean, it's Mahomes, but yeah, I have him. I have him a little bit under. I have him in the uh, in the low 290s. Yeah, I'll take the under as well. I'm a little more even pessimistic than Chris. I'm just kind of looking at my numbers. I imagine I'm going to adjust this up a little bit, but right now I have him at 284. Like shooting from the hip like that feels a little low, but I I could see it being a situation where uh, with a run heavy game script on both sides, like I could see the Titans sticking with the run, even if they get down by 10 to 14 points. And uh, I could see a situation where uh, the Chiefs rely on the run a little bit more than they did last game. So I'll, I'll take the under there. Let's get to the running backs. The two guys at the top of our rankings, Derrick Henry and Aaron Jones. Um, I think that is pretty apparent, but, uh, you know, you can also make a case for putting Damian Williams up there. And I think it is really those three guys and then uh, a pretty big teardrop after that. Sean, who do you like? I definitely don't want to be making any final decisions on the 49er backfield uh, on Tuesday morning. But right now, the way the pricing is shaping up, I think Raheem Mozart um, is the guy worth buying back in on at 4300 We kind of talked about how it's impossible to really trust Shanahan since they really do use a hot hand approach. So uh, Moser, he had to leave the game, I guess, due to uh, like cramps in his calf. Um, so that that's more of a temporary issue. I guess he was dealing with some illness last week. So that, that could be a reason why he got phased out. And obviously Tevin Coleman had a great game, but I think that um, people are going to be, um, you know, chasing points from last week, so to speak. Um, and, and Coleman's more expensive than Moser this week. So I think Moser poses um, as of right now uh, a good, uh, cheap option at running back, especially if he inherits his uh, main um, lead back role this week. So uh, I'm looking at him, but again, th- this is a projection that could change as the week evolves. As we find out more what happened last week and what Shanahan plans to do this week. But I'm assuming um, since Brita, he he actually had a pretty critical fumble towards the end of the game. I think it was third and one. They went for it uh, or with, they gave Brita the ball and he fumbled it. So I, I'm thinking that could cost him a bit this week. So if, if we have more of a two-headed timeshare here, I think um, uh, Mozart will be uh, pretty much a free square at 4,300. Raybon, where are you on Mozart? Yeah, I, I kind of feel the same way. Uh, I actually read something that Kyle Shanahan said he likes to start games with Seven Coleman because of the physicality he brings. So I, I definitely think Coleman will get a, you know, a few carries early and, you know, that that does increase the volatility with Mostert who, you know, if the 49ers get down or something like that, uh, it'd be tougher to predict. Also, none of the running backs got uh, targeted last week. So, uh, you know, it's one of those things where you don't usually expect those guys to get more than one or two in a given game anyway. But as Sean said, at 4,300, this is a short slate. You got to kind of make some concessions uh, somewhere. So, you know, it's, you know, 
1400 less than Coleman, I think is, is uh, worth buying into. And uh, just, you know, he has the questionable tag on DK. I think those things kind of matter. People might be a little cautious in taking him uh, whenever they see that. So I, I just think he's going to be under on this week. Okay. I'm, I'm with you guys on both points. Uh, I think for his salary, Mostert offers a lot of value. And I think that he probably will have a reduced ownership this week, both you know because of any lingering injury concerns and then also because uh, he was overtaken in the backfield. Or I'll change that. He was outproduced in the backfield last week by Tevin Coleman. Where I am differing is that I think Tevin Coleman will get the opportunity to to be the hot hand first. And uh and, and so I don't want the guy who's going to be like the second option. You know what I mean? So like from a fantasy point perspective, projecting this, I do have Coleman projected for more points than Mostert this week. Like I think it was more than just Coleman managed to uh, outproduce him. I think as much as anyone in that backfield can in any game, I think Coleman took the starting job. I mean, you guys can can disagree, but and this is like one of the the big challenges of projecting this backfield. Always, if I had to sp- split it right now, I would give more of the workload to Coleman than to to Mostert. So, from a fantasy point perspective, I'm a little bit higher on Coleman than Mostert, but they're both for me top five backs. And uh, what distinguishes them probably is not all that much uh, from a fantasy point perspective, which means in terms of salary. Mostert is uh, the preferable play in DFS, but uh, relatively higher on Coleman and lower on Mostert this week. Uh, Sean, who are you relatively low on? So just by default, uh, I'm low on Tevin Coleman. Yeah. I mean, you make <laughs> great points. I, I have Coleman getting one and a half more carries. Um, so I agree that he's probably the, you know, the lead back now, but the uncertainty doesn't favor him being almost $1,500 more expensive. Sure, sure. Um, and, and I think his ownership, I think his ownership will be spiked this week because if anybody watched that game, yeah, he looked like the better back and we, we've joked about it. Like, you know, who's the better back on in this backfield? We don't, we don't really know. You could debate it all you want. Um, and I, I think uh, Brita actually had the first carry, um, last game. So uh, again, I, I think Brita's fumble at the end of the game, this could be a uh, two way timeshare. So I might even have a team where I have both Moser and Coleman, just the way the 49ers operate this offense uh, might be a sneaky little snack there stack there. But um, yeah, Tevin Coleman at 5,700. I'll try to purposely have lower exposure than the field, just because I think that uh, given the uncertainty and you know, how pricey is, um, I think he's the smart fade this week, but we'll have to see how this week shapes up and um, who other people are leaning towards. If, if people um, seem like they're going to be cautious with Coleman, then I might have more. It's, it's just one of those things where we'll have to get a feel with, with how the general public perceives the situation. All right, Raybon. Uh, Aaron Jones is number two in my rankings, number two in Sean's rankings, number three in yours. Uh, talk about why you prefer Damian Williams to him. So Damian Williams had a 100% of the backfield carries last week. We thought maybe Andy Reid was saving McCoy for the playoffs, but really it seemed to be saving Damian Williams for, for the stretch run, and that continued. And, you know, when I look at the two matchups, I mean, you know, Aaron Jones got 87.5% uh, of the carries. Uh, uh, Williams got one, and uh, Tyler Irvin got a couple. And it's just, you know, the usage favors Williams just a bit. And then you look at what San Francisco's done with this defense completely healthy. Because remember, they got the Quisky Tart at safety back. They got Quan Alexander at linebacker back. 
and then they got D Forda as a pass rusher back. So uh, they're not only are they tough to pass against, which uh, limits the opportunities for for the whole entire offense and puts you in bad game script. But they were able to take away Dalvin Cook last week. Uh, he had 26 yards on 15 touches. Uh, they tried to get him going with some screens that didn't work. And um, and then you look at what Aaron Jones did against the same defense when it wasn't even 100 percent healthy back in week 12. Uh, and he had only 38 yards on 13 touches himself. So uh, I think when you, when you look at the floors of both of them, I think uh, Jones has the lower floor. Let's talk about the prop. Sean, give it to us. Derrick Henry, baby. <laughs> at Kansas City, we're going to bump it up to 100 and a half yards. Uh, this week at KC, total rushing oh, yards. Over, over, way over. I have them at way, 24, way over. I have them at 24.5 for 130. Can I take <laughs> the under on that? <laughs> yeah, it'll you can be take rich. the under. He'll go over, though. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but you're <Sure>. right. <laughs> if you look at since the buy, their pass rate has like been under 50%. So, yeah, um, yeah I have their drop back rate essentially in the mid 40s, which bumps it up a little. I have the under projected, but uh, I know I'm just too low on his his rushing usage, so I'm going to take the over. Like I need to, I need to make a manual adjustment in this because uh, I I think they're going to do exactly what they've done the past two weeks. You could run against the Patriots, you could run against the Ravens, you can run against the Chiefs. Like that is the way that they're going to attack. Even if they get down by double digit points, I don't see a world in which Derrick Henry gets fewer than 20 carries. Like on the surface, that sounds like a ridiculous statement. Like you should never project any running back like ever to have like more than 20 carries, except in this instance, you know, like this is the outline instance. Yeah, I'm going to take the over. I mean, that's kind of why we were cautious with them last week because we, we thought they would be trailing and that didn't happen. So if if they do start trailing by double digits, I think that that will be the way this goes under. So, Rayvon, are you taking uh, the Titans plus seven or? I stopped betting Titans, the games, because I'm always oh. wrong. I would take the over on his prop, especially if it's around that number of, a, of 100. I just think, um, you know, not only the volume, like which has been extremely consistent, I mean, he 32, 34, 30. Those are his carry numbers over the last three games. Like this is no longer, you know, a just, uh, you know, like, okay, he's had a couple big spikes. And we saw this at the end of last season too, where they just, they rode him. So I think if they get down double digits, there's like, if the Chiefs play softer, you know, if they play more toward the pass, that, that's just going to make the Titans run more. And he's just so good at um, generating explosive plays. Whereas, you know, all you need is like one big run from him, which he's getting usually multiple yeah. in a game. So, yeah, I, I, I'm just, I bumped it up quite a bit. Yeah, he's getting the 2014 DeMarco Murray treatment where they are just running him into the ground. And, I mean, like, honestly, okay, let's assume that he comes back to Tennessee next year, which I actually don't know is a safe assumption. Like, you would think that they would, but the way that they're using him, they might just be like, we're running you into the ground and then we're letting you go. <laughs> um, but assuming he comes back, given the usage that we've seen out of him, ever since week 14 of last season, but especially localized what we've seen out of him in the second half of the season with Ryan Tannehill, how high should he be ranked? I know I'm taking this question kind of away from the normal conversation, but how high just shooting from the hip do you guys think he should be ranked in 2020 redraft leagues? Like uh, third round for the first half of the season, <laughs> number one. Well, also, also depends on PPR. In Let's PPR, assume it's PPR. Even if it is PPR, what does it matter? Like, right. Well, I said that before the season started, I was saying he's the most likely running back to play all 16 games. 
Um, and I was wrong because he missed the game. But he's just one of the more reliable backs. So yeah. I, I, I didn't get why people, a lot of people were calling him a bust in like rounds five and six. I just didn't get it. Like he's just a volume monster and that's what you want from your running back. So yeah, so if he returns to Tennessee, I could see him being a top five back next year easily. Yeah, I'm there. Even in a PPR format, I just, I yeah. don't think it matters. So Yeah, and I, I would say he has what, two years maybe of this kind of usage before he starts to break down. I don't know. He might be able to to handle this kind of usage, but yeah, I would say next year we we could expect this level of performance to continue. Yeah, I mean he's he's a terminator. He can just uh, <laughs> keep on going out there and uh, no decline in production. Let's get to the wide receivers, the two guys at the top of our rankings. Uh, no surprise here, and I think a massive teardrop after these guys: Devonte Adams and Tyreek Hill. Sean, who do you like? So I like A.J. Brown as sort of the uh, sneaky mid-tier guy. Uh, I guess he's the third guy ranked on my list. That makes him mid-tier. But, you know, he's 5,200. Obviously, he's been shut down uh, in the playoffs by Derrick Henry. You know, they haven't really had a reason to throw the ball much. So if, if they get put in a position where they need to throw, um, you know, that's how the Titans got to the playoffs. Technically, it was Ryan Tannehill's reemergence and um, A.J. Brown. So, you know, I haven't forgot about him. This is a tougher matchup. We've talked about last week. Uh, receivers tend to struggle against KC. But I think um, given the recency bias of, you know, him being basically invisible, this this could be a breakout game for Brown. So at 5,200, I'll, I'll have a ton of him. And hopefully he's low-owned. And hopefully the Titans have to play from behind at some point and start throwing the ball. So, so I love A.J. Brown this week. All right, to put some context, not only on A.J. Brown, but the rest of the receivers or starting receivers for the Titans, Corey Davis and Tajay Sharp have combined for four receptions and 22 yards and a touchdown thrown by a running back on 13 targets in the playoffs. <laughs> 22 yards. Hashtag not good. But uh, you're well, saying there's going to be the turnaround. Well, why throw it when Derrick Henry's been running defenses over? So I'm just saying if game script flips and they have to yeah. you know, come back, that's that's basically all I'm banking on. But yeah, if, if Henry gets 35 carries and they win by 15, obviously Brown's going to be a terrible play. But you got to take some chances on this slate, right? Yeah. Your ranking here uh, and enthusiasm for A.J. Brown is all in keeping with the fact that you set a prop of 100 rushing yards for Derrick Henry. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> so, I guess I'm low on Derrick Henry. Yeah, so it, <laughs> it makes sense. Rayvon, who do you like? I have Tyreek over Devontae, so um, I like him, but I, I think that that's just a matter of that tier. Uh, you could argue probably either way, but uh, as far as guys under that, I have Debo and, and Emmanuel Sanders both over uh, A.J. Brown, and it, it's, it's kind of ugly here. It's just given how few pass attempts Ryan Tannehill has had, and then even when he's had uh, you know a decent number of pass attempts, They've spread the ball around a ton. I mean, I think it was, who was it, Khalif Raymond who got the, the long touchdown last week. They're just kind of throw, using all these different receivers and trick plays and tight ends. And it's just, uh, it's just tough for me. So, yeah, I'm going with the two, uh, with the two Niners receivers as the guys that I'll probably have a little uh, overweight exposure on just because I think that th- this game is a game where, you know, Shanahan, he, he cooks, he, he'll, he'll cook up some different things. Uh, and I, I just trust him more than the Titans who I, I'm – I think there's just a, such a low floor of in terms of the pass volume. All right. the I understand the perspective on Tyreek Hill, and I actually I do like him a lot. I think he has a tougher matchup against Adore Jackson, but whenever he goes into the slot, he's going to have a great matchup against Logan Ryan, maybe one of the best matchups on the slate. So, uh, you know, I am bullish on him. 
but I do like Devonte Adams a little bit more. He is the entirety of the receiving offense. You know, it's kind of embarrassing how many yards uh, and receptions he accounts for in the entirety of that passing game. And since he returned from injury in week nine, he's had 11.3 targets per game uh, over his 13 games this year, including the playoffs. He's had either 100 yards or a touchdown uh, on a per game basis. He's basically been uh, pretty similar to uh, DeAndre Hopkins, who you know had his third straight all pro campaign. Like he's he's still very much the guy in that offense, and uh, it's a tough matchup uh, against a 49ers pass defense that I have a lot of respect for. But the the uh, sort of silver lining around this cloud is that Devontae Adams doesn't line up all that much at right wide receiver, so he's going to be able to avoid Richard Sherman for seventy to eighty percent of his routes. Uh, and when he's uh, you know lined up at left wide receiver, he's going to be going against Emmanuel Mosley, who is still good, but uh, is I would say like uh, a great backup as opposed to a locked in starter. Even though they are going to be starting him now, like given the difficulty of the matchup, it's about as good as it could be for him, and he's still going to get tons of targets. So that's that's where I am on Adams, Sean. Who are you relatively low on? So I guess I'm low on Kendrick Bourne uh, just because I I think he'll be a popular play at 4,200. He's been on a touchdown tear of late, uh, obviously the touchdown last week. So I think people just gravitate towards him, but he's really not going to get you more than two to three catches tops. So just at his expected ownership, I think he's an obvious fade um, and hope he he doesn't catch a touchdown. But basically any guys in this range like uh, Corey Davis, Alan Lazard, they're just too expensive for this slate. Um, you can make a case for a guy like Michael Hardman, just you know, a random flyer who could get a seven-yard touchdown. But other than that, I think I'm going to stick towards the top with Devontae Adams, like you said, Tyreek Hill, and my boy A.J. Brown, and then a ton of Debo Samuel and Emmanuel Sanders um, with Jimmy Stack. So I, I just think this whole range around Kendrick Bourne could be popular. Um, in reality, um, you, you know, they're, they're overpriced this week. Okay. Now this is about to be a fantastic segment because Sean said that he is high on AJ Brown. And I said that I am high on Devonte Adams and Raybon has in the outline that he is low on both. So Raybon, <laughs> tell us why we're wrong. I mean, we already kind of went over it. So Adams, you know, I still think he's the clear number two receiver and he did get a touchdown in that San Francisco game. And that just speaks to how many targets he gets. So I think that he's still a tier above all these other guys. Um, but there is, there is a lower floor than usual. And I think you can see that by the amount of yardage that he got um, because this San Francisco defense, it's not just about Richard Sherman. Um, it's about the entirety of the defense, you know, especially with Quan Alexander back, you can play zone and you have a linebacker that can, you know, go sideline to sideline. Uh, you have Mosley on the other side. I mean, once he came in, Stefan Diggs had one catch, you know, he had the Diggs had the touchdown catch one-on-one, on uh on a kilo wizard spoon and then mosley comes in and digs is you know goes quiet so um this it's, it speaks to just the team defense so i think it's it, there is a low floor here and there is a, a scenario where um you know if debo or, or manny makes a big play gets a touchdown uh, that, that 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 they could outscore uh adams just on efficiency but um so yeah that's why i have adams well and then aj brown it's just i have him five i just have him out the other side of that uh debo manny sanders here for kind of the same reason i think both of those teams are at risk you know san francisco and tennessee uh of you know not throwing the ball very often but tennessee has shown kind of more of a, a propensity to do that and then you add in the fact that kansas city has been kind of a, a team that funnels their the football away from wide receivers they play about a single uh 
two safeties deep and they'll play man coverage underneath. So essentially, um, you know, you have man coverage on the on the outside wide receivers and then you have safeties over the top. So uh, they're kind of a tight end funnel, a little bit more of a, a you know running back funnel as well. So um, the floor is still, you know, one catch for Brown, I think, that we've seen. Whereas, you know, Sanders and Debo usually get at least a couple, two to three catches uh, in a given game. All right. The guy I'm relatively low on is Sanders, and it has to do more with Debo than with Sanders. You know, I think Debo, what he's done since Sanders joined the team has basically been 2018 DJ Moore type of uh, production, uh, just in terms of his all around skill set, the way they're using him. And in this matchup, uh, Debo is, uh, I'm projecting to run most at the weakest cornerback left in the playoffs. And that is Kevin King, uh, who's allowed, I think, like 1.7, 1.75 uh, yards per route run um, per pro football focus. So not uh, a great performance there from Kevin King this season. Debo, I think, is going to be the guy who gets to exploit him the most. And then Emmanuel Sanders, by juxtaposition, is going to have to run most of his routes against either Tremont Williams or Jair Alexander. Uh, and those are the, the two stronger cornerbacks within the secondary for the Packers. So, I mean, I still think Sanders is a a top five wide receiver. I, I For me, like the gap between Debo and Sanders is probably bigger than people would maybe expect. So just relatively low on Sanders there. Sean, give us the prop. Let's set the record on AJ Brown and make sure I'm not going overboard on him. I think you'll find my medium projection isn't that high. I just I like his upside on two game slate, but I have his receiving yard uh, projection at 55 and a half. <laughs> I have him at 54.7. So I'll go, I'll go under, but yeah, that's a good line. That's, that's pretty much. See, I'm, not, I'm not like insane about, I don't have him projected for like 97 yards or something. Just, just to settle 55 yards. Yeah, which he could get in one play. Like he could have his one catch right. could be for fifty-five. Yards. Yeah, I think with him, I think with him, it's mostly his touchdown upside in my model versus target upside. But yeah, like like you said, just one big play from him can he can hit value. I have him at fifty-eight point five. I don't like that my projection is higher than yours. Like I want to be, I want to be lower to be honest. Yeah, he's he's a wide range of outcome guy so his, yeah. his like, medium I'm, is going to be a bit low i mean this is going to make me change my projection I, i'm just saying i'm taking the under there's okay I, i'm not gonna <laughs> i'm not gonna be on the over on aj brown this week tight ends i mean <laughs> this is <laughs> this is painful to uh i guess even have a segment on this i mean the two guys at the top kelsey and kittle sean <laughs> who do you like this week that's Last week, I was at least able to like pry up uh, Darren Fells' uh, dart throw, who I, I sprinkled in some of my lineups. This week, I don't even have that. Uh, I don't want any of Johnu Smith. I don't want any of Jimmy Graham. Um, Anthony Ferkser has uh, seen a decrease in routes per run, so I, I can't even recommend him as a dart throw. I will have nothing but Kelsey and Kittle, and oftentimes in the same lineup. So, you know, using one in the flex, I think. Playing both makes sense again this week. So, um, yeah, I can't really recommend anybody else outside of those two. And I, I tried really hard to find somebody. Just couldn't do it. Raybon, what about you? You know, I have Kelsey number one and Kittle number two. And obviously Kelsey's, you know, the, the, the how everything went last week kind of plays into that, you know, just with the season-long numbers. But I will say that, you know, Kittle now coming off of that, um, you know, bad matchup and into a, a, a better one. And, and Kelsey going against the Titans team that they tend to uh, – they don't blitz a lot. What they tend to do is try to double um, your two best guys at times. Like they were doubling Edelman and James White on key plays in that Patriots game. So like 
I think a lot of people we'll all probably have Kittle number two um, and Kelsey number one. But like there's a there's a there's something to be said for Kittle over Kelsey this week. Like things could easily kind of flip around. But yeah, after that, I mean, I would just say all, any Titans tight end um, because, again, the, the Chiefs tend to funnel the ball to to that position a little bit. And, um, you know, there's really you can't you can't even look at the routes for these guys because there's only like 14 drop packs. So, I mean, uh, I think any, I think any like I think I think any one of them on some type of trick play or whatever red zone target get a touchdown. I mean, John Smith is probably the guy I would I would recommend outside of those the, the top two just because, um, you know, we saw him get make that brilliant catch in the red zone last week. Um, and I think if they get down you know, he's one of their better receivers. I mean, arguably better than pretty much all of their other pass catchers outside of AJ. So uh, I think he has some upside in this matchup, but he's also their guy. They block, he blocks a lot more than Ferkser. Uh So yeah, it's tough. Yeah. I'm with Rayvon there. Uh, I, I mean, I don't want Johnny Smith. I doubt he will actually be in any of my lineups, but uh, I think in comparison to Jimmy Graham, um, I'm relatively high on Smith. I guess I would say I'm also, uh, and this is to Raymond's point, uh, also probably higher on Kittle, like from a DFS perspective, uh, higher on, on Kittle relative to Kelsey. Like I still have Kelsey projected for more, um, but I maybe prefer Kittle. Um, but Smith relative to Graham, I think there's a pretty big tear break, even though Graham actually did have uh, some production last week in his hashtag revenge game. I'm not buying him against uh, a 49ers defense that has been strong against tight ends for most of the season. And last week got back its primary tight end defender in Jaquiski Tart. So I want absolutely none of Jimmy Graham. Uh, which is like the guy I'm low on. And so by juxtaposition, that means I'm relatively high on Smith. And as Chris said, like he, he does have potential. Like he's a guy who is an athletic, uh, I mean, I don't want to say like freak because I don't think that he's quite, he's quite there, but like he's like an athletically very capable tight end. Like they give him the ball in the running game. Like there are, there are things that they can do with him. And I'm bullish on him for 2020, um, so, you know, that's maybe also kind of coloring, like how I'm thinking about him in this slate, but, uh, I just, I'm really high on him in comparison to someone like Jimmy Graham, who I, I view as like a walking plague. <laughs> <laughs> right. And just real quick, I just have to get this out there, but on a two game slate, sometimes doing something crazy can pay off. So I think I'll have one team, just one team with Blake Bell at tight end instead of Kelsey. And hear me out. Uh, you know, Kelsey has this knee issue he's been dealing with. It actually knocked him out of the game for a few uh, plays last week. So if if he has some sort of in-game flare-up or something, Blake Bell would be the starting tight end and, you know, will be less than 1% on and could take down GPP. I'm sorry I had to just put it out there. But two-game slates, sometimes you need something crazy like that to happen. So I'll have one Blake Bell team. So, uh, Rayvon, I hate Jimmy Graham. I'm assuming that you were there with me. Yeah, and it's really just – I mean, all oh, the Packers tight ends, Mercedes Lewis, Robert Tanyan, and, and Jay Sternberger, um, they all were involved. Uh, 40% of the routes for Tanyan and Lewis, and then uh, 24% for Sternberger. So, I mean, Graham didn't really even – that was a good matchup for him last week and kind of pointed that out, you know, but he only ran 54% uh, of the route. So, yeah, it could go very wrong uh, for Jimmy Graham in this one. <laughs> All right, Sean, who are you relatively low on? Uh, well, basically anybody not named Kelsey or Kittle. I mean, I already <laughs> okay. said pretty much yeah. low on everybody else. <laughs> Blake Bell, the random dart throw. Other than that, we'll have no – like, I've been uh, fading Jimmy Graham since week eight when I was making fun of uh, Aaron Rodgers' reactions 
uh, Tantani <laughs> throws it really past him. So yeah, I don't like anybody on the slate outside of those the top two guys. All right, give us the prop. I mean, I had to get a little unique here. Um, so total touchdowns by Travis Kelsey and George Kittle combined. Will it be zero, one, or two or more? So I have all three of those buckets being equal, like 33% chance each one. I'm going to go with one. One exactly? Yeah. I'll go two or more because I like I like the multi-touchdown upside for, for both of those guys. Nice. And, and yeah, yeah. That's going to do it for this episode of the Action Network podcast. You can follow Sean, Chris, and me in the Action Network app at the underscore odds maker, Chris Raybon, and Matt at the Oracle. Use the app to get real-time odds and track your bets for free. Check out the rest of our episodes and live shows this week and subscribe to and rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, radio.com, or wherever you get your podcast. See you again next episode. We're finished talking.